The Digested Read by John Crace Candleford Green by Flora Thompson Laura sat up beside her father on the cart and waved. Goodbye, Laura, the neighbours cried while Dawn French bounced up and down, overacting in the background. Her leaving had caused quite a stir. It was an epic eight-mile journey from the sleepy hamlet of Lark Rise to the sleepy village of Candleford Green, and no one was quite sure if they would ever see Laura again. After stopping for a fizzy orange aid along the way, they reached the post office where Laura was to start work as an assistant, while Candleford Green was taking its afternoon nap. Yet their arrival did not go entirely unobserved, for the postmistress, Miss Dorcas Lane, who was widely held to be as sharp as vinegar, which is more than can be said for this prose, had heard the clattering of hooves upon the cobbles, and arose from her slumber to greet them. "'You must be exhausted!' Miss Lane declared, I shall get Zilla to make us tea and scones. I've been rushed off my feet myself, what with the Mrs. Pratt dropping by for three penny stamps and a gossip. Laura was unable to begin her arduous duties until she had been officially sworn in by Sir Timothy on the morrow. So she retired to her room to unpack her trunk and to recover from such a busy day. The interview the next morning was not as terrifying as she expected. Sir Timothy patronised her courteously, saying she appeared remarkably bright for a 14-year-old peasant girl. And Miss Lane commented appreciatively on the depth of her curtsy. Once dismissed from Sir Timothy's presence, Laura was introduced to the other postal workers. I have recently converted to Methodism, said Mr. Brown, and the surveyor tried to make me deliver the mail on a Sunday. How very distressing for you, Laura replied. Indeed it was, but luckily someone else agreed to do the deliveries in my place. It was a very worrying hour of primetime television for us all, said Miss Lane. I need a slice of Victoria sponge and a lie-down just thinking about it. Over the following months, Laura quickly mastered the halfpenny and the penny stamps, but the five-shilling stamps always caused her grave anxiety, from which she liked to recover by reading the sonnets of Shakespeare. Or, if she was feeling somewhat racy, and was certain she was not being watched, Byron's Don Juan. In Laura's time, Candleford Green was still a village, and every member of the community knew his or her place, which made it the ideal Sunday night feel-good costume drama. The poor, of course, would have liked an extra farthing a week to spend on dripping, but no one begrudged Sir Timothy and Lady Adelaide their palace, as each year on Boxing Day they allowed the hunt to gather just outside their gates. What excitement this grand occasion merited, with all the women planning their wardrobes months ahead. No English village in the 90s was without its idiot, and Candleford could lay claim to more than its fair share. 
Yet Lumi Joe, an unfortunate deaf mute, was the undisputed king of the idiots. How he used to chuckle as the children gaily threw stones at him and pushed him in the river. It was not all fun and frolics, though, for people did, from time to time, fall sick and die. Yet when they did, how the lower orders pulled together, swapping turnips and baking dainties for one another. Some folk might say Le Candleford is the kind of village that appears on chocolate boxes, said Miss Lane, waking up from a deep postprandial snooze. Which reminds me, who ate all the toffees? Candleford was never short of entertainments, for twice a year a man would come to give public readings on the green. It was at one such event that Laura, her hair cut into the Alexandra fringe that was all the rage at the time, was asked by a Godfrey Parish, a young reporter on the Candleford News, if she would mind if he were to walk her home. She accepted, and they arrived back at the post office two minutes later. The village talked about little else for years to come, though Laura and Godfrey never did meet again. During this time, Laura became acquainted with her neighbours, the two Mrs Pratt, who ran the haberdashery store and whose father had mysteriously vanished for a year, only to turn up in a hedge. Yet she continued to throw herself into her work wholeheartedly. She learnt to use the complicated telegraph machine, and when the delivery man was ill, she would personally walk 25 miles to make sure that Sir Timothy received his letters on time. And so fast was her stride, she would still have time to press some wild flowers before tea. You're a good girl, Laura, Miss Lane would say. Have a nice jam tart. It would be wrong to paint too idyllic a portrait of Candleford Green, for even then the village was beginning to show some signs of the changes that would see it become a monstrous suburb of Candleford, complete with its own spa. Modern bicycles had begun to replace the penny farthing, and once a youth was caught trespassing in Sir Timothy's spinney. On such occasions, the Candleford folk would sigh, such is life, and return to the kitchen to make some nice quince jelly. Laura would often find that the greatest excitements came in threes. First there was the great oak that fell, causing Sir Timothy's countenance to turn most grave. Then there was old Bob, who found a panel that fetched five pounds at a public auction. And last, there was the anonymous valentine inscribed with the rhyme, U-G-L-Y, you ain't got no alibi, you ugly, you ugly. This last incident caused Laura much distress, until Miss Lane reminded her that such were the heady dramas around which Sunday night television schedules were based. I'd better have a biscuit and a cup of tea, said Laura, before going back to the counter to dispense stamps to the four customers of the afternoon. Yet she too was changing. The pace of life in Candleford Green no longer quite left her as breathless as it once had. 
Some days she could even manage without a nap, and then she longed to escape the gossamer threads that bound her. Yet the threads that tied her to a life of boredom were more enduring than gossamer. They were spun from cherished memories of endless repeat fees. (laughs) 